ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. Daddy! The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. Woo! It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Those of you who've been writing a long time, I know you could write a book about it. And yet, the institution of marriage is constantly changing, both here and around the world. It's really fascinating how we're all alike and how we're also very different, what works and what doesn't. Last year, I went to Copenhagen, you may recall. I spent some time there with the people, and I love seeing how they live. So I had this idea to have one of my new Danish friends, Nana, take us to another fascinating country. And here she is, the woman I met in Copenhagen and befriended, with her report on life, love, and marriage in Cairo, Egypt. Hi, Oprah. It's Nana. Um, a couple of days ago, I was sitting in freezing Copenhagen, and your producers called me and asked if I wanted to go to Cairo, Egypt. And this is where I am now. Denmark is 2,000 miles away, and it's 20 degrees, and here it's 80, and it's lovely. I'm now in the old part of Cairo. Cairo is a city with a population of 20 million people. I come from Copenhagen, and we have 1 million people, so it's crowded and completely different. We're going here to meet Heba. Nice Heba is an interior designer. She's 33, and she's going to show us around. In Denmark, it's really safe. I mean, you can, as a woman or as anyone, you can go everywhere, and you can have uh, your children in their carriages outside just sitting there. So it's extremely safe. How, how do you feel it is uh, here? Uh, Cairo is extremely safe. Cairo is extremely very, safe. Very, very okay. safe country. Uh, I don't think anybody worries. I mean, I don't worry about my safety. I don't think anybody okay. else does. Okay. The crime rate is extremely low considering okay. the, the population okay. comparison. I just didn't know that it was so safe here. Really? <laughs> you were shocked? Yeah. yeah. I've heard that in the Arab world, uh, Egypt, in Egypt is the highest divorce rate that is. 
And yeah. I know that you've been uh, are divorced, right? You've yes. been married? Yes, I've been divorced. Um, How do they consider divorce? It's not highly regarded, obviously, but it's becoming quite common. It's uh, one in every three marriages end up in divorce here. It's a bit of a stigma for a woman. Yeah. People don't necessarily get married either in Denmark. Uh, I'm, for instance, I'm not married and I've had the same boyfriend for 14 years. You live with him? Yeah, yeah, I have See, for 14 we, years. See, we can't live with our no. boyfriends. No. That's a major taboo. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be socially accepted. But you would not do that either, and not even now. After you've been divorced, you wouldn't move no. in with someone? Well, no. See, after you get divorced, usually women move back in with their parents. Oh, so you live with your parents? I live with my mother. Ah, okay. Do, uh, in Denmark, every, every woman works uh, pretty much, and it doesn't matter if she's married or not or whatever. Here you find a lot of women that work and up until the point where they get married. And, and then, then they, they stay home if they yeah. have children, things like that. Yeah. And then they don't start working again later on? No, sometimes not. No. So they kind of, they become quite dependent on the man. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Interesting. So Nana joins us from Cairo along with Heba Shambo, who uh, we just met, a 33-year-old interior designer, and Inji Elkashuf, uh, a 37-year-old journalist and mom. Welcome to our show, everybody. Thank you so much. So, yeah, you know, I was, I was on holiday and we were talking about, I was talking to the producers about this whole show on marriage and I was telling them, Nana, how impressed I was with my conversations with, with you and other friends when we were in Copenhagen and that perhaps you would be a good person to carry on this conversation. What are your impressions of women in Egypt? In the streets also, as you saw, there was a lot of women wearing scarves. Uh, much, much, many more than I thought. And then it was also interesting to see that many of the younger women were wearing re really uh, tight clothing and a lot of makeup and the scarf. And uh, I thought that was interesting because I thought it was maybe a little bit uh, constrictionary. So, I, okay, so I, I, we were watching that tape and I was thinking, I thought the same thing. A lot of women are wearing scarves. Some women aren't wearing scarves. Heba, you weren't wearing a scarf, so women, some do and some don't. What does it mean to or not to wear one? To wear the scarf usually means that you're more traditional, maybe more pious. Not wearing the scarf, the veil is probably being more open-minded. But Angie, it's, when you hear that, as sitting there hearing that, does that mean that you, as wearing a scarf, do you feel like a more closed-minded woman? Not at all, Oprah. I, don't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't consider myself uh, close-minded. I think uh, the scarf is more a commitment, a personal commitment that a woman chooses to make. 
but it doesn't necessarily reflect on her intellect or her open-mindedness at all. So is there tension between the scarf wearers and the non-scarf wearers? Who's that addressed to? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> to both of My them? experience is that there was, I thought there was. Yeah. There, there sometimes is this kind of tension because uh, many people do, um, actually some people uh, exhibit religious uh, manifestations without really concentrating on the essence of the religion. So those, there, will, there will be people who judge uh, women for not wearing uh, the scarf, although the basic tenet of religion would say do not judge anybody in the first place. Yeah, but does it, not wearing the scarf mean, could it be interpreted as a woman who doesn't wear it is more, you know, modernized, more contemporary, more... I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think it means that at all. Uh, you find lots of people in uh, the most uh, westernized and, uh, you know, kind of uh, forward-looking, uh, in a sense, uh, communities who are veiled. And you will find women who are in very low socioeconomic strata, uh, who are very traditional and conservative, who are not veiled. I don't think it's... So, uh, so it runs across the gamut. It, it goes both ways. Yes, okay. So we have some tape on the scarf conversation. In the Western world, but of course also in Denmark, we talk a lot about scarves. And Dr. Eber, I can see you wear a scarf. How much is the religion and how much is the culture? Uh, for me, for my, for my social class, it's not at all culture. It's religion? It's, it's religion, purely. And what Same. would you see? Same. I, yeah. uh, I faced a lot of opposition mm -hmm. in my immediate circles mm -hmm. when I uh, when I started, decided to wear the scarf. And when did you decide that? Two and a half years ago it was. You are trying not to cause people to lust after you willingly and intentionally. And I would say in Denmark it's, it's uh, thought of as being a, a, a great thing actually if men think you're sexy, you would be kind of honored and happy when yeah. men think you're sexy. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm not... Uh, I'm a, I'm a health. I'm a normal, healthy woman. I if, I, if a man finds me attractive, I'm not You're unhappy happy. at all. No. But I will not work on producing that. And uh, Eba, are you going to wear a scarf someday? You think? Um, no, never. I believe in my religion in a more spiritual sense. So for me, the headscarf doesn't mean anything for me. But that doesn't necessarily make me not. It, I mean, it doesn't make me less spiritual either. What do you think about that, Dr. Eba? She's just talking about spiritual relationship, relationship between her and Allah. For, so you don't feel that example, Eba is religious? Um, no, I don't feel it. <laughs> what do you think about that? See, I, I don't think so. I think that I, I'm you think you a are strong religious? believer of my religion. In this society here, there is that strong contradiction here, is that people will say, you don't have to wear the veil and it's up to you, but they will, there is a judgment on you if you don't. So let's talk about what Inji said about not making yourself uh, attractive to men. I thought that was a very interesting comment where you said, Inji, that you know you are pleased if a man finds you attractive, but you don't spend your life trying to make yourself attractive to men. And all of us laughed here in the United States because I think from morning to night, that's what we wake up doing here. The entire <laughs> making ourselves. Everybody in this audience was making themselves attractive to some body. <laughs> To, to, today. So um, it's, it's, are you saying that it's just not a priority or what, Angie? No, I'm just saying, what I'm trying to say is that um, basically it should not 
a person, a person, woman or man should try to look good all the time anyway. But I'm just saying that uh, producing or, or working on creating uh, a lust, a lustful reaction in the opposite sex is, is not a good thing to do in our religion. And recently, when I decided to uh, become more uh, committed to my religion, more spiritually, um, you know, um, elevated in a sense, I have prioritized not eliciting this in men over the pleasure that doing so would bring me. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Okay, I, I, I understand that. I just find it fascinating. Women have only been allowed to initiate a divorce in court in Egypt there for the past 10 years. Nana sat down with some women there to talk about that. 10 years only. So let's talk about divorce now. You actually decided to be divorced, and did your husband agree? Well, uh, no, he did not see the points. He finally gave me whatever I wanted. But, and why do you think he did that? Because of my father uh, asking him to do that. Okay. So uh, the struggle was to convince my father that this was the good thing to do. It took me six years to convince him. And a, wo a man can ask to be divorced right now, this day. He doesn't day. need to ask to be divorced. He can just do it. He just divorces. In one day and then it's over. In one minute. So you don't have anything to say in it, but legally. Legally, all he has to do is say, you are free to go. You are released, you are divorced. Goodbye. divorced. Whereas the woman has to go through a trial. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Denmark, you never get married before you have lived together for a while. And sometimes you don't even get married. You think it's wrong to yeah, live together? Yeah, it's a together? sin, yeah, because, you know, we, I'm referring to God's uh, laws. God's so you laws. think, actually, yes. that all of Denmark is living in sin? Yeah. The view on sexuality is completely different in Denmark and in Egypt. No, but there is sexual frustration in Egypt. It's a There's a sexual a frustration? That, that is clear to the naked eye. What is the frustration about? The frustration is about that because of religion, uh, you, you cannot or should not, you should not uh, have sex before marriage. And because of the economic situation, many men cannot afford to get married and start a family. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they don't end up getting the sex that they need up until their mid-30s or even after that. Islam completely endorses a very healthy and fulfilling and active sexual life between man and, and woman between a husband and his wife. It's what the, the sayings of the prophet, the teachings of the prophet. He tells men that they need to engage in foreplay. It's very much encouraged to give pleasure to the woman, to, uh, for this to be a, a very intimate and f mutually fulfilling relationship, uh, and not just an act that has to be finished quickly. So, Heba, I noticed during that conversation we weren't speaking, or maybe you were speaking and we edited it. What, so what did you think of all that? About the... Um premarital sex and talking yeah, about? Yeah, all of it, yes. Well, I'm kind of not of that school of thought. I don't, uh, I'm different, I'm more liberal, I'm more open-minded, so for me, I don't see anything wrong. I don't think man is living in sin. But I mean, for us, relationships do culminate in marriage, so it is very important for us. If you have a relationship and it doesn't end up in marriage, then it's not a successful one. So uh, you wouldn't necessarily live with your partner, but you would, you know, I would think we have a normal open relationship. Do you get, do you, are, so do you date your partner? Are you courted? Do you go to movies? Does he... Yes, it's, it's normal. It's just not normal to maybe necessarily have your partner live with you or spend the night at your place, or you wouldn't live together. And if you, you know? are 
uh, strictly religious, you would not have sex before marriage. But if you were not strictly religious, you perhaps would, would have sex before marriage. Yes. Are there people having sex before marriage in Egypt? A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So, Ingie, why do you think the divorce rate is on the rise there, Ingie? I think that the, the problem is multi-layered, Oprah. I think that, first of all, people aren't getting married for the right reasons. And therefore, when they are in, in the marriage, they realize how unfulfilled they are and they leave. Second, I don't think that men and women are uh, very much... Um, I think that men are, men are no longer men very much and women aren't, aren't any longer women very much at least in Egypt in the sense that there is an identity problem there's a, a serious confusion here there the men and women still have a prototype in their head of what a man should be like and a woman should be like uh -huh. yet neither of them complies with the prototype and yet they continue to expect the partner to comply with the prototype so you end up with a lot of uh, disappointment, disillusionment, uh, etc., and hence divorce. You know, what I noticed when I was in Denmark, there is this e extreme feeling of equality uh, between women and men. And, you know, and that wasn't just talk. I mean, the women feel like they are on par with men and, you know, work in jobs and have authority in their lives. Do you sense the same thing there, Nana? Uh, no, not at all. Just just uh, the case that you can see that uh, a man can ask for a divorce or just say it, and then he's divorced. He can send a text message and get divorced through text message on the phone, and the women have to go through a trial. I mean, that's, it, in my opinion, that sounds really unfair. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do, do you feel a sense of equality in, in your life there, Heba? Uh, no, because I think uh, we can do certain things, but a lot of things are not socially accepted for us to do. So we kind of, we, it's a, there's a thin line about, about what's acceptable and what's, what you really should do. So. Yeah. Do you, so you do, do you feel a bit repressed still as a woman? Uh, yes. Yeah. To a certain extent, yes. Yeah. Do you, Angie? Well, personally, I don't. <laughs> But I know that I'm not necessarily representative of all the Egyptian women. Uh, in my community, in my uh, life, I mean, in my circles, my job, my family, uh, I do have uh, the right and the freedom to do what I believe is right mm -hmm. at any point. And that's what I've been doing all my life, uh, basically. Well, Whether yeah. I was right or wrong. Doing, what doing what, being guided by what you feel is right. Well, you know, I have never been to Egypt. and. I am told by everybody in the world, including the, including the president of our United States, who said, if there's one place you should go in the world, you should go to Egypt. So the first time I get the opportunity to do so, I intend to visit. And now there's two people I know there. So 
Thank you. What a pleasure to have you uh, join us today. Thank you. Thank you, Nana. Great job. Let's do it again soon. And uh, Hebe and Inji, fascinating conversation. Thanks for enlightening Thanks, us. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, the, are, are, you, are you from Egypt? No, are you no, from? We're Palestinians. You're Palestinians. Okay, so are you speaking on behalf of Egypt or Palestinians? On Islam. Muslim. Like Muslim people. Yeah. Muslim people. And yeah. you're saying what? You were saying you cannot get a divorce through text, through text message. message. You can't. That's so you false. disagree with them? Oh, yes. yes. It's false. It's not true. It's the man has true. to verbally say it. He has to verbally has say to it three times. Okay, what if we put, find yeah. right now a man he, who is divorced man by text message? A man has to say it three times, and that's all he has to do to get a divorce. Uh -huh. He says it three times. Three times out loud, yeah. and he's divorced. Okay, so the bottom line is this. Yeah. Bottom line is this. If you were a man, because this is what they were saying, that if you were a man, you can say it. Yeah. If you're a woman, you have to go to court in order to get a divorce. You agree with that? Yes. Okay, then. Moving along. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So we're moving along uh, in Chicago, talking about marriage around the world. Eat, Pray, Love author Elizabeth Gilbert struck a big old nerve with women everywhere when her book came out. After a painful divorce, she vowed never to marry again. So she finally made peace with the idea of marriage. You can read all about it in this month's O Magazine. That's me having a cup of coffee. <laughs> it's so funny because I actually opened that mag. Go back to that cover, guys. The other morning, I woke up and I was sitting at my kitchen table looking nothing like this. <laughs> and it cracked me up to see myself looking like this on a cover, because who the hell looks like this in the morning? But anyway, this is about... Um... <laughs> this is what you look like when you've had a makeup team a lighting crew and two fans. Uh, Elizabeth's new book is all about marriage and it's called Committed and we asked her to give us a little history lesson. We have this line that we repeat in this country that the history of marriage is this sacred, ancient, inviolable union between one man and one woman, which is very sweet and it's, and it's very lovely. It just doesn't happen to be true. It happens to be true that for most of time, the history of marriage is a union between one man and several women. In the ancient world, it was a way of gathering kinship and expanding your circle of family. In the medieval world, it was an economic bond. The only thing that's consistent about the history of marriage is change and evolution. I think when you use the term traditional marriage in America, um, people automatically picture the 1950s. They see a woman in their mind wearing a, a fitted dress with pearls and a husband going to work and 2.5 children in a suburb. So when we talk about this golden age of marriage where nobody got divorced, one in four marriages was still ending in divorce. The divorce rate has been high ever since people started choosing their partners based on love. In 1967, when interracial marriage was finally made legal in the United States, seven out of 10 Americans disagreed with the ruling. And all the arguments that are being used against gay marriage are exactly the same ones that were being used 40 years ago. Now I feel like we're into something that my sister and I have started calling wifeless marriage, which is to say that a lot of women that I know really want to get married, but they don't want to be a wife in the terms of what that has always meant, meaning the one who stays home and sacrifices her, her life for the benefit of the husband or the benefit of the family. And interestingly, the men they're marrying don't want them to be wives and also don't want to be wives. It kind of feels like everyone wants to be married, but nobody wants to be the wife anymore. It'd be nice if everybody could get married and then get a wife. 
Thanks, Elizabeth. Her book is called Committed. Every year, more than 100,000 women from around the world become mail-order brides. 100,000. It may be hard to imagine finding a husband that way, but it's a multi-billion dollar business. I want you to meet, meet Lyra from the Ukraine. Ukraine is a country in Eastern Europe. It is part of the former Soviet Union, and it's about the size of Texas. Ukraine is best known for its beautiful women. The majority work in low-paying industrial jobs. Many women seek husbands outside Ukraine. They see that as a way out. When I was 19, I was looking to get married because I, I did not want to live in Ukraine. It just wasn't a happy place for me. I wanted a completely different life. Lyra did what many women in this country do. She became a mail-order bride, a process where men pay thousands of dollars to bring a wife to their country. I wanted to marry someone so I could move to the United States. It was, for me, it was an arrangement where someone would help me get a visa and um, perhaps a green card. And a husband comes with a deal. They had very low expectations. Basically, all I needed to be someone I could have a conversation with. I didn't want my profile to scream, buy me. The Ukrainian girls, they put up the best pictures they have. You know, tight red dress, fishnets, high heels. I know it will sound a little cliche, but I wanted someone to like me for me. Just after 9-11, 50-year-old Steve says he was lonely and looking for someone to talk to. He decided to post his profile on a mail-order bride site. Steve was the third guy um, that wrote to me. When I saw Steve's profile, I knew that he was a sophisticated person. I got Lyra's email, and it, was, it rang so genuine. It was so different. And the other ones were very, sounded coached and stiff. And, and Lyra sounded like it could be somebody down the block or across the hall. And, uh, and I answered her. We really got to know each other over the internet first. It was suddenly very, very pleasant, incredibly intoxicating for me. I had to meet this person that could do this to me. After three months of chatting, Steve came to visit me in Kiev. The moment I walked off the plane, it turned into something more. The moment I saw her, it turned into something more. He was a little bit older. He was a little, he was just like smaller in person than I, I thought he would be. You know, I was like, I was already, I was already in love with her. I didn't know her, but I felt like I knew her all my life. So Steve and Lyra got married two days after arriving in the United States. That was six years ago. Lyra took us back to show us the life that she left behind in Ukraine. This is the house where I grew up. <laughs> Lyra's mother, Olga, and her brother, Valak, live in this two-bedroom house. They share one tiny bathroom slash laundry room and a cramped kitchen. It was a difficult life. We didn't have a lot of money. My parents are doctors, and that's a government profession in uh, Ukraine. And so we had to make a lot of sacrifices. Um, this is how we used to eat all the time. <laughs> Bread, cheese, and, and white fish. Like, nothing's changed. When I told her I'm signing up for an international marriage site, um, she, she was very skeptical about it. She says that she never knew anyone 
who got married that way, and so she did not think that it would be, um, that it's even possible, and definitely didn't think it could end well. It's really common to look for foreign husbands on the internet, and it usually happens in internet cafes just like this. It's kind of like a secret, but everyone is doing it. Marriage is a priority for a young girl in Ukraine. It's completely normal to start looking for a husband when you're 17, 18, 19. That is considered marital age. Lyra's former classmate, Yura, was 18 when she got married. Now, at 26, she's on her second marriage and stays home with her eight-year-old son. Ira says that she was looking for someone who could support her. If a woman has an opportunity to stay home and take care of the children, she does that. There is no such thing as wanting a career uh, before the family. The pressure to marry isn't as intense for Ukrainian men. At 25, Lyra's brother isn't ready, but he knows what he wants. Yeah, I'd like to, my wife to stay at home. I just can't tell why. Maybe to take care of the house, to take care of the kids, and uh, I don't want her to work. I think in America, people uh, expect more happiness. I think Ukraine may get a little bit more advanced, but it will take decades. And I always felt like I just don't have the time to wait for Ukraine to catch up with me. <laughs> Too fast for Ukraine. <laughs> Lyra's here with her American husband, Steve. They've been married now for six years. Could you, would you say you're happily married? I am absolutely happily married for many years. What, Steve? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Was the intention to be happily married? At first, that was not what I even was thinking about. I didn't care about, I was looking for an arrangement so I could get a visa and go to the United States. Mm -hmm. Did you know that, Steve? I did know that. I wasn't looking for that either. I was, what I was really looking for uh, when I signed on to the, the marriage agency was, was someone to talk to in the, in the post 9-11 weeks mm -hmm. in downtown Manhattan. And, and it just became something very much more. So you fell in love after you were married or you no, fell in love no, before? I, suddenly I had this man in my life, not like a boy. I had a serious man in my life who could arrange things for me. Who could, he, he said, you want to see New York City? You got it. And I, I had to admire that, and I had to love that, you know? Mm -hmm. It was something I really wanted, and suddenly it magically appeared in front of me, and I thought it was really cool. Okay, and so now, where are you in the edge? Did you fall in love with him later? Are you? We're completely, yeah, yeah. When we started dating, there was an element of courtship, unlike other, you know, male or bride stories. Steve legitimately dated me for many, many months. He came to see me in Kiev. We traveled but, together. Well, would it be fair to say, though, that in the beginning, you were really just trying to use him as a ticket to get out of Ukraine? Pretty much. Is this a traditional marriage now? It started out completely untraditionally, so is it more traditional? Neither of us is a traditional person. Steve is a musical producer, so he had a really, like, he did not have a, a straight-up life. Right. And, you know, and we got along. 
We spoke, we spoke every day for months. And when, and when we weren't speaking online, I was, I was there with her. So we were speaking, and, and, and slowly but surely, I, I mean, it might not have been, we might not have talked about it in terms of being a conventional or traditional marriage, but we were pretty much in love. Had you, had you been married before? Yes. Yeah. So it was interesting where you said in this post-9-11 world in New York City, you were feeling what? Oh, in all of New York, lower Manhattan was just completely traumatized. And, and, and I think people had a, a different take on, on life and relationships and because of how tenuous they saw life was. Mm -hmm. So what does your family think of him now? They like him. They really like him. They, they like it that he takes care of me. And they like they can be peaceful and calm about me being with him. They're not concerned, you know? So you said that your initial interest in the mail order bride website was because you wanted a ticket out of Ukraine. Yeah. And then you were saying what you really liked was him being able to do things for you and show you around. And so you, you wanted to be taken care of. I, I did not want to be taken care of, but I wanted the opportunity that being and living in New York City, living in America gave me. Uh-huh. And yeah, I, it was absolutely a thrill for me to so be it's able interesting. to. You know, one of the reasons I love having these conversations is we're talking with the women in Egypt and, and Denmark. And Nana was saying that, you know, women in Denmark grow up, you know, really independent. I, 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 that was why I was so impressed with the women in Denmark. They don't grow up with the idea that I'm going to marry somebody who is going to take care of me. You're, you're saying that in your culture, by the time you're 18, 19, even 17 years old, your mission is to find a husband to take care of you. Yes. Hmm. Yes. That is extremely common. Uh-huh. And, and yes, the, the bargaining power of women is, is close to nothing. By the time you're 19, Next thing you see is 20, and you're considered old, an older woman. By the time you're 25, some doctors will tell you you shouldn't be having a child. Wow. Thank God we live in the USA. Well, thank you, Lyra and Steve, really. Happiness to you both. So for 95% of Indian couples, it's first comes marriage, then comes the possibility of love. Here's a look inside an arranged marriage in Mumbai. Bustling India, the second most populated country in the world, has one of the fastest growing global economies. Here, where the old and new collide, one tradition has remained. For 95% of couples, their parents arrange their marriage. This is 31-year-old Shalin and his 27-year-old wife, Sneha. We met over dinner and it was her parents and- His parents? My parents and, yeah. and you know, we were all there for a family dinner, basically. It was very awkward, you know, you've got your parents and you're sitting yeah. there. And, and too many relatives, I think. If yeah, I'm and you can't be looking at the girl and saying, uh, you know what, the two of you should just walk out, the yeah, two of we, us should just walk yeah. out, but, you know, we're okay with it. I went back a week later on the Sunday, I spent the day with her. At that time, I was, I was certain in my mind, I was very, uh, you know, sure that this is a spark. There is something. So I asked her, can I proceed ahead and ask my parents to speak to your parents? I felt quite excited after it, but I was still very nervous. After two dates, the wedding was set. Five months later, they shared their first kiss. The first kiss was at On the, the New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve. It was 12 o'clock at yeah, midnight. Our wedding in 
in brief was about a three-day affair. Uh, affair. One of the few days you feel like you're on top of the world. I often tell my friends the best experience or the most valuable experience with your spouse is the first 24 hours. The first when you're trying to yeah figure out as to what the person, huh, yeah. what the person would like to do first thing in the morning. Right. What's the reaction? And does he drink tea or does he drink coffee? Yeah. And for me, uh, the most surprising thing was that I didn't know that he smokes till I till I uh, till I saw that after marriage. So yeah, that was like quite. I wasn't negative. I wasn't hurt. I was just shocked because it's a big it's a big part of your life that if someone smokes, and I didn't know about it. I liked one side of the bed. Suddenly, in the first night, she was sleeping on that side of the bed, and I'm like. I, you know, that's not my favourite side. How do I tell her? So the first night, of course, I didn't tell her. And the second, third night, I told her. Arranged marriages are not meant to push you into someone that you don't know or you don't have compatibility with. You grow into it. So Shalin and Snehas, they join us on Skype from Mumbai, India. Shalin says that his marriage is arranged to love. What does that mean, Shalin? I think... Uh, the arrangement part of it is when your family comes in and tries to help you find someone who's more compatible within their circle, within your knowledge, within their knowledge. That's where we begin with a base of compatibility. And then after that, as we stay together, we, we begin to understand each other, this compatibility and love grows over time. I think there is, it's very difficult for someone to say he loves someone within a few moments. It takes time and you need to have that much tolerance, patience, and fun to, to ensure that, you know, you love the person. Okay, so is, is the idea, Sneha, the idea is you're, you're not marrying to love, is the idea that you hope to love the person one day? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because if I say that I started loving him in the first go, I would say that was pure infatuation because love doesn't happen overnight. And even if I say that, that's going to be a lie. Yeah, uh, I hoped that one day, one fine day, I would definitely start loving him after knowing everything about him. Including smoking. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> part of his life. Yeah, that's just life. So would you say now that you two love each other, are in love, or falling in love? I think... We love each other. We love each other. I love. And how long have you been married? Uh, five and a half years. Five and a half years. Well, I'm glad that's working out for you. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's been a fascinating look at how we are alike and different in so many other ways. I mean, the fact that over half the world is in arranged marriages, there must be something to it. So thank you, Shalin and Sneha. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.